for why I've been thankful this past week. Now, this week, you need to know why I'm excited. Um, Chris shared with you about Larry Graves. Uh, Larry Graves is a dynamic man of God. Um, I, I came to know him while I was in school at uh, Southeastern Seminary, and I had him speak in my church uh, about seven years ago, and I still remember one of his sermons from seven years ago. Most folks don't remember sermon 30 minutes after they leave. Uh, I'm not exaggerating in that. And, and so uh, he is a powerful communicator. Uh, he's involved in uh, a church start in the Atlanta area and Midtown area. The Midtown uh, Community Church is, is where he is at. And so I, I tell you, if you come tonight, you'll be blessed. And I won't have to tell you to come the rest of the week. Um, put that as a priority. Move things around to get here. Cause, uh, I, I, and it's not just that. It's also what he'll be talking about. Um, we're going to be looking this week, as we kick off this morning, about obedience. Um, and he's going to be going right along the same theme. Uh, and this is part of church renewal. What is church renewal? Well, at the essence, part of it is, is renewal of obedience uh, of a church. It's a big part of what renewal is about. And I, I'm convinced that this is the area of attack in our church. The area of attack. It is the area of attack in your life, in my life, and it is the one area that matters for eternity. For eternity. Obedience. All that's wrapped in it. And so, for that reason, I just encourage you, uh, make an adjustment for this week. I know Doing something every night of this week can be difficult because you're already doing something every night of this week. But I'm, I'm telling you, there's not going to be... I, I can't imagine what you'll be doing that will compare to the eternal value of what you can learn the next few nights. Okay? Now, what is, what is the name of the study we're doing now? Someone tell me. Seeking Him. Now, it seems to uh, reason that if we're seeking Him, our goal is to see Him. <laughs> right? Just take off a few letters of that phrase. Do we not want to see God at work? Do we not want to see more of Him and who He is in our life? Y'all remember getting married? Those of you who are uh, married... Are, some of you can imagine getting married, those of you who want to be married. It started hitting me somewhere around 13 when I started to agree with God that it wasn't good that I would be alone. Up to that point, I disagreed with God. Um, didn't see much reason to have a girl in my life. Uh, but at that point, things changed. And I just started imagining a bride. I didn't imagine a tuxedo, didn't imagine the limousine, I didn't imagine the candles. Girls do that, and they imagine a lot of other things about the wedding day. But I imagine having life, living life with a bride. And so it all led up to one powerful moment when I was standing in a church, and my buddies, my relatives were around me. A dad was there, another pastor was there, and the door opened, and I saw the bride. 
Now, at that moment in time, there is only one appropriate place to be looking at. Right? You're looking at the back door, looking at the bride. That's not the moment to look and wonder, hey, I wonder if my shoes are all tied. That's, you know, if it's not taken care of by then, it's not going to get taken care of. That's not the time to look at your best bud and laugh with him. And it's certainly not the time to look across at one of the bridesmaids. That's not the time to do that. You've got eyes toward one. Everything else is periphery and it doesn't matter. When we're seeking Him, it is to have eyes toward one. And then in life, the damage or the problem that we get into is we start looking at the peripheral. Those things that surround Him and not Him. Those matters within a church, those matters within a family, those things that look like they belong to a wedding, those things that look like they belong to God, those things of a religion, but not seeking Him. And I pray that God will put your eyes right where they need to be on Him in this moment of time. Last few months, I was sharing with the deacons this past weekend, it came clear to me that we needed to see God in our family. Because the sad reality was I was seeing too much myself. And it was a devastating look. Have you ever looked at yourself? Your mirror reflects, but the Bible reveals. When you get in the Word of God and it reveals who you are, it is not an encouraging sight. It is a despairing sight. And I was starting to see it. And one of the things about having kids is that they reveal yourself as well. And you see them reflect yourself reflected in them. And I was praying along with my wife because Julie and I both were dealing with this. That this is not the home we had always imagined. There's way too much arguing. There's way too much angering. There's way too much bickering. And there's way too much pride. And it got to the point where neither one of us wanted to be there. We wanted and we needed to see God. That happens in most any place. A church can be that way. Way too much religion. Way too much politics. Way too much bickering. Way too much criticism. And you need to see God. Way too much show. At the moment of the wedding, it's not how you look, groom. It's how she looks. At the moment of life. It's not how we look church, but it's how God looks and looking toward Him. And so with this thought, I want to take you to a passage that talks about seeing God. It's found in John chapter 14 verse 18 through 24 is what we're going to focus on this morning. But John 14 it is it is one of those chapters that Jesus is, is sharing with in the last night when he institutes the Lord's Supper, right before the cross, beginning at John 13, see, going through John 17, the prayer that he prays for the believers, not just the disciples there, but for us in John 17 as well. John 13, we have uh, Jesus taking on the servant's tile and washing the feet of the disciples, knowing where he was going, know where he came from, and yet he was able, and because of that, he was able to love them to the end, 
He predicts that one will betray him. Judas Iscariot is dismissed. And then in John 13, 34, he says, There is a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You ought also to love one another. And he starts bringing out the theme of love. He says, I'm going to go away from you. Verse uh, 33, I'm, I'm leaving you. He's, he's breaking the news to the disciples. I will not be here. And Peter said, well, well, you're going, I'm going. And Jesus said, no, you're not able, not yet. One day you will. Peter responds, hey, I'll die for you. Jesus says, no, you won't. You'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And then verse 14 says, he comforts them. Don't be, don't be troubled by this. It must be that I go. I'm going to go so that I can prepare a place for you. There, there is a reason behind this that you don't understand, but God knows. And one day you will thank God forever for what's going to happen here. Verse 6, the way that he's preparing, the place he's preparing, you'll get there only through Jesus. And then, verse Philip says, Well, Lord, if you just show us God the Father, that'll be enough for us. Jesus, imagine, quite exasperated that comment, said, Don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have you not gathered that yet? Verse 10, Do you not believe that I and the Father in me? And so he starts talking about believing that they are one together. Verse 12, that there will be works done that if you believe that that will be greater than the things they've seen that gave indication to who he is that they will themselves do. And he gives them the promise of provision through prayer. Verse 13, 14. Verse 15. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. I'm going to give you another helper, which is not Muhammad, as many Islam Muslims would say at this point. No. He says, I'm speaking to another who will come, another comforter that will be there. And so he gives them the Spirit of God and promises the Spirit of God. He says, I'm not, you're not going to be orphaned. I will take care of you. So we come to verse 18. And in honor of this passage, let's stand as we read it together. Verse 18 to verse 24. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You may be seated. I want you to first notice in this passage the word manifest. I will manifest myself to him in verse 21. And what does that mean? God will reveal himself. You will experience 
who he is. You will see him for who he is. Now, who is God? Well, the Bible makes clear that God is power. That God is the source of provision. That God is love. That God is truth. That God is peace. That God is holy. That God is righteousness. That God is wise. That God is forgiving. So, if you see who God is, that means that you're seeing God's power, which strengthens us. We call that grace. Remember as we studied this? His grace. We're seeing God's provision that takes care of our every need. We're seeing God's love that assures us as His children. We're seeing God's truth, which stabilizes us. We are seeing God's peace that calms us. We're seeing His holiness that convicts us. We're seeing His righteousness that purifies us and directs us. His wisdom that also comes along and guides us and His forgiveness that liberates us. You know what this sounds a lot like? That sounds an awful lot like revival. To experience these things about God, His conviction, His righteousness, His power, His peace, His holiness, this is to experience God. What He is saying here in this passage is that there will be a reviving work in your life, in your spirits, that you will see God. Is that not what we're talking about? This is not seeking God. We want to see these things in our church. And so he gives us, look, if you want to see God, and, and listen, this, this is what it came down to in my family. When I realized I'm seeing too much of myself, I'm not seeing God, I'm not seeing his peace, I'm not seeing his holiness, I'm not seeing his love, I'm not seeing his righteousness, I'm not seeing his wisdom, I'm seeing fools living together and bickering with one another. This is what it meant when I said, we need in our family a reviving work of God. Which means what? As a father, I can't just say, alright Julie, step up. <laughs> Kids, what's wrong? Step up. Don't you know this is wrong? This is right. That's what I had been doing. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. And I was telling over and over and over again, louder and louder, angrier and angrier. I'm wondering, why are you getting and they're just reciprocating back to what I'm giving to them. And what needed to be was not my bickering and not my nagging, but to say, God, do a work. Help my family see God. Help us to see Him. So, what I would just present to you is that we need to be at this point. We need to be seeing God. We need to be at the altar looking for the bride. We need to see the honored guest who is God. That is revival. So, what does this passage say? He says, this is a theme for a little bit, because Judas, he kind of catches this. Judas, not a scary, makes a clear point there. He says, you're talking about revealing yourself to, uh, to us, but verse 22, how is it that you're, you're going to show yourself to us, but not to the world? Now, there is, specifically, we're going to hear Jesus resurrect and reveal himself only to disciples. You don't see him walking in public in the masses. He's just going uh, to the disciples. But Judas is hitting on some. How come it's just, it's just them, just us? Thank you, Jason, and not, not everyone else. What, what's what's the point in that? And so he goes on. And he says, well, "Here's a little why." Notice what he says in verse 23. Well, Jesus answered, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word." 
my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, he's saying there's something tied with my presence with the thing called obedience. Obedience. The world at large are not obedient to me. I will not be revealing myself to them. They will not see me as you will see them because you will be obeying me. Here's the first thing you want to write down is we want to see God. But here's the next point. For us to see God, we must obey. We must obey. You notice how it's phrased over and over again. Notice verse 21. He says, who has my commandments and keeps them? He it is who loves me. Who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus uh, said in verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you know verse 23 is the only place in the New Testament where God the Father and God the Son are said to indwell the, imbeli- the, the believer? It's the only place where God the Father is, is mentioned alongside with God the Son and indwelling the believer. He says, but it's tied to keeping the word of God. He says, when that happens, then you will be a home for God the Father. You will be God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit will feel at home. Have you ever gone to a place where you felt at home? I remember visiting, we were uh, visiting a, a church and, and uh, preaching there and... and uh, the family invited us over to eat with them, and you know they put out the the paper plates and just you know give sloppy joes or something like that. I don't remember quite what we had, and uh, we just you know kind of sat around with our paper plates and and uh, paper forks or plastic forks. And, and after eight, I said, do, you know, do y'all mind if I just take a nap? And they let me. And I went to a couch and I knocked out for twenty minutes on the Sunday afternoon. You know what happened? I felt at home. I wouldn't have asked that, except for the fact that they made me feel at home. Let me ask you, does God feel at home in your life, in your heart? Does God feel at home in this church? He says a mark of that is obedience. He feels at home. He can indwell us, and there is an ease of the Spirit among us when there is obedience in our life. What does it mean to keep my word? You have verse 20, has my commandments and keeps them. That's not, that's not just that you're keeping them in your heart. It's not just that you're keeping them in your mind. It's not just you're keeping them in your bookshelf. You're keeping them on your desk. Alright? You're keeping them in your car. It has instead the idea that you mentally come to terms with it. You, you under, you're understanding what God has asked you to do and you're doing it. You're doing it. Imagine if uh, you were working along with the CEO and you were kind of a uh, CEO was getting ready to leave the business and he's going to leave for six months, do some work in, in Europe and, and try to get settle some things and offices over there. And he says, I want you to manage the office here. It, it is yours to do and I'm going to give you some instructions. I'm going to write to you from time to time, give you instructions as to what to do. After uh, six months to a year, he comes back. And he comes to the office and sees the weeds overgrown, the pavement cracking, and he opens the door and the receptionist is kind of painting their fingernails, you know. And you look over there and there's a couple of folks playing ping pong uh, in, in one office. And, um, and, and, he, and he comes to you and, and you're watching the NCAA tournament uh, along with the rest of the folks who aren't playing ping pong and painting their fingernails. 
And you're asking, well, what, what's going on here? I said, Did, didn't you not get my instructions? Didn't you get my, my letters? Oh, yes, yes, we did get those. And those were good letters. We enjoyed them very much. In fact, we enjoyed them so much that we got together once a week and we had small groups of us to, to read these letters to each other and, and we studied them. And do you know there are, uh, there are a few folks, stellar employees, who have memorized some of those letters? They can, they can quote them to you verbatim. Would you be pleased? The scripture says here, who has my commandments and keeps them. The one who obeys. It's not enough. It is not enough. It, it, it is so short to know the Word of God, to even memorize the Word of God, to even study and reflect the Word of God. Those things are good only as much as they lead to change in your life. Otherwise, it can be a very bad thing because you are deceived in thinking that you're following God simply because you read His Word. You're not set apart by the fact that you're sitting here listening to someone explain the Word of God. That doesn't set you apart. It is the Word of God living in your life as you apply it. You want to see God. If we want to see God, Jesus says, those who keep my commands, it is, it is based on the obedience. I, John chapter 11 says that God wanted to give, Jesus wanted to give glory and bring glory to the Father, but it required some folks to obey His commands, to move a tomb, move a stone out of the tomb and call out Lazarus. And when obedience came, God's glory was given. When Noah obeyed God in building the ark and doing as God instructed, he saw the glory of God's salvation in the midst of a flood. When Moses obeyed God and, and followed his word in Egypt, God, he got to see the power of God. When Moses obeyed God in building the tabernacle according to as God had commanded it to the letter... Then he saw the glory of God enter into the tabernacle, but only followed the obedience of Moses. When Joshua obeyed God and all that he asked, then he saw God in his delivering power. When Paul obeyed God and all that he asked, he saw the glory of God's ministry. Listen. If we want to see much of God in this church, there must be much obedience. If you want to see much of God in your life, in your heart, there must be obedience. God is not going to come in His glory to abide a dirty vessel. There must be obedient hearts. So, where does this obedience come from? Well, He brings it out if we want to see God, we must obey. If we obey, it's because we love. It's because we love. If we want to see God, we must obey. If we obey, it's because we love. Notice what it says, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Then you see it in verse 23, kind of reversed a little bit. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Now let me clarify a couple of things. Um, love and obedience are not the same. 
They are two separate uh, actions here. Love and obedience are two separate actions. They're not the same. It's kind of like saying, if you take medicine, you will get well. Medicine and getting well is not the same thing. One is a result. One is a fruit. When you love God, it is the medicine. And then getting well is the obeying. Obeying is the fruit. It is the result of our love for God. And so you need to understand what's being said here. In fact, I, another way to look at this is you need to understand that God isn't rewarding our obedience with His love. It's not that we obey first, then God loves us. In fact, the reason I say that is because there are several passages that speak very clearly that God loves us first. John 3.16 of the same book. For God so loved the that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. There is the love of God that enters and initiates this. Uh, John 13.34, in this same talk, you notice just a few verses up, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Referring to how He has already been doing. Romans 5.8, God gave His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In case that's not clear, uh, well, just a few other, uh, in the same talk, John 15, 9 and 10, as the Father has loved you, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, abide in His love. And so there is a, an abiding that a result of the obedience of which God has already given love to you. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. So, what's being said here? What's being said is that God initiates this love toward us. And when we respond in humility, remember how humility is key, say, God, I need your love. And it is amazing that you love me while I'm still a sinner in humility. We acknowledge and we trust and we believe in the love of God. And as such, grace comes into our life called God's love, our love for God, that propels us to obey so that we see God. And is, as a result, God grants more love. And so our actions of obedience are just sandwiched, first by the love of God preceding, and then more by the love of God afterwards. It is a cycle of beginning. Do you understand that every time you obey God, you are getting closer to God? Every time you express that, it is an expression of love in which God grants you more love, that you understand His grace even more. But every time, listen, every time you disobey God, guess what you're doing? You're stepping away from God. With every act of disobedience, it is a step away from God. It is a step away from God's love, His grace, and He gets harder and harder to see because you've chosen to see yourself more and more and all the results of it. Do you see that? You're, you're being sandwiched by the love of God. And so, if you want to see God, we must obey God. We obey God because we love God. There are acts of obedience you can do without love. But you cannot love without acts of obedience. 
some folks can give money and give to the poor. And you would say, was well, that obedient thing? Yes, yes, let's do that. But that doesn't mean you necessarily love God. You could be loving yourself and you want to look good before others. But when you love God, you cannot help but obey Him. Because you desire Him more than the things around you. More than things of your life. So if we want to see God, we must obey God. We obey God because we love God. It's, it's kind of like that, that moment where uh, if in that time I come forward in my wedding day and I make those vows and I say, oh, wait, time out. I know we're in the middle of the wedding and stuff, but can it be just I say I love her? Let's just let it go with that. All these details, you know, I'm kind of legalistic. You know, tie me down. We, and we leave here and, and we say, uh, well, okay, here's your house, here's my house, okay. we'll meet every once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe call me in advance so we can set up some time, an appointment, because I'm meeting with other folks too. Who are those other folks? Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Don't, hey, girls, don't, don't get in that situation, all right? <laughs> all kinds of bells are going off. When I love her, it is no problem whatsoever to make some vows to her and to carry out these vows. Carry out these vows. When we love God, obedience flows. It is, it is the revelation of whether or not we love Him. And here's why this is so important as a church. All of what we've talked about is just meaningless talk if we don't obey God. We could say, oh yeah, that was a great study of seeking God. I learned good stuff. Powerful things. But did you obey Him? If you didn't obey Him, you're just fooling yourself and thinking that you're seeking God. It's kind of like you're just looking for the tuxedos and the limousines and the flowers and the ring and the dress, but you're not looking for a mate. Are you seeking Him? It is revealed by your obedience. So, we love. We love because we believe. We love because we believe. It's interesting, up to this point in verse... 21, he has been hitting on a theme of what they know and what they believe. You see, verse 21 is kind of where he talks about the love that, that flows into obedience and obedience that flows out of love. But notice, you come to verse 10. Notice, you, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? Verse 11, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then you see as we get down to verse 16 that there's going to be a helper who will come. In verse 17, the spirit of truth. Verse 
18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I, I will come to you. Believe me, verse 19, let a little while, little while the world will see no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. You must believe these things, that there is the Spirit of God, and there is the Son of God, and there is the Father of God, and all three are one. And when you have the Spirit of God convicting you, you must believe that is not just a weird notion, a fancy idea, but that is God Himself speaking to you. And then when you see Jesus speaking to you, you need to know that this is not just human form, that this is God Himself himself speaking to you in the old testament you see time and time and time the people rejecting god the father when you come to the gospels you see time and time and time people rejecting god the son and when we come to the church age when we come today we look around and see one another what is it we see we see time and time and time that people reject god the son and they call it that's a fancy idea it's a crazy idea has the truth of Scripture behind it. It has the uneasiness of conviction in your heart. And it has the tenacity of coming back to your mind. And it has the goal of glory to God and holiness. And it smacks of the faith and trusting in God and His, and His righteousness. Friends, I think it's helpful for us to understand that God still speaks in the directions of your life. It will always coincide with the Word of God. It will always reflect His truth in Scripture. But you'll find that it will be extremely practical and very specific in your heart and in your life. And it will be uncomfortable. Let me just bring out this thought that if we as a church and if you as individuals want to come to God and see God, don't you think there's going to be some changing done in our life? Or are we just so naturally at home in our life and, and, and we can make God at home just our natural lifestyle that we don't need, need to do any changing? Let me just bring something out. I, we studied and we've seen a chain of progression here. When we see God, it's because we're going to see obedience. When we see obedience, we're going to see the grace and holiness of God working in us to produce a love for Him. We have the grace in our life because we are honest and we're honest about our humility that we are not all that we are or need to be before God. So let me just say that if we see little humility, we will see little of God. How much humility have we seen in our church? How much humility have you seen in your life? When we come across these questions, we don't fill them out because it's too painful to see it in print. Why is it painful? Because the pride reigns in the heart. Do you understand that is the enemy? How much humility have we seen? Have we seen people coming and confessing? For a brother or sister in Christ and saying, God has convicted me of my sin and I realize that I need to change in my life. Are we seeing any honesty before one another? A group this size. There are people here struggling with hidden sin. There's no question about it. 
And the, just the fact of the matter is that when we see little humility, we'll see little grace. We'll see little love for God. And we'll see little of God. And we may dress it up and act like we do. But it will be forgiven. So let me, in this vein, just say this. I just want to confess a couple things to you. I'm going to ask you as a church to forgive me two important things. In the last few months, there has been little accountability in my life. And this is something that is not good. Man left unto themselves can go in all kinds of directions. This last week, I asked my wife to be my accountability partner. It had been too long for anybody not to ask me some serious questions. And by the grace of God, that I've been protected, but I do not trust myself. I need to confess this to you as a church. I ask you to forgive, because as your leader, I am to lead the way of what God is calling me to do. I'm going to present this. I'm going to ask you to forgive me, because I have not led the way in praying for you as a pastor. There needs to be no one in this church body that prays for you more than me. And I've set that bar way too long. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of these things. And I know that there is things in our lives that we need to get right with God. And I'm a fool to think that we'll go on and we'll do it if I'm not doing it. And so if no one ever sees in humility, I want you to see humility. And it's not to be all great about yourself. It's just to be transparent with who you are. And say, I'm not all that I need to be. But I need the grace of God to help me. And I'm in that way. I don't think I'm the only one. So I ask you to forgive me. And I will repent by the grace of God. Have the people in place to ask me to make sure that I'm seeking God. Not just as I'm standing here before you and not just as I'm in the office, but when I'm seeking God all by myself. Or else that's just hypocrisy. Let me ask you some questions. Is there something you know that God wants you to do that you've not yet done? Has God asked you to forgive someone? And you've not done it? Has God asked you to call someone or write someone encouragement? Has God asked you to honor your parents? You've not done it? Maybe to devote more time to your spouse, children? to get out of debt. Maybe some material thing that has captured your heart. God's been speaking to you about it. Maybe it's to give something to a person in need. 
or share Christ with somebody. Maybe God's convicted you special of, of recognizing the Lord's Day with some kind of with some honor in your own life. Maybe it's to develop a, a daily habit of reading the Bible, prayer, showing hospitality to someone. Maybe God's been speaking your heart about surrendering in your life, vocationally, what God's put in your heart to do. <laughs> you need to quit your job. Maybe it's about taking care of your body, eating right, exercising. Maybe it's in a matter of giving. You realize you're not giving and being generous before the Lord. Do you need to commit to do something that you know God wants you to stop? Some kind of recreational habit, activity, hobby, consuming way too much of your time? Are you ever spending? Are you failing to pay what you owe? Is there arguing in your life? There's cursing, there's foul language, is there flirting in your life? There's a gambling, is there gossip, slander, critical spirit, holding grudges? Are you losing your temper, lying, cheating? Perhaps you're stealing from your employer or someone else. There's violent acts. Are you viewing pornography? Are you overeating, smoking, You're harming your body in some ways through addictions? Is there adultery in your life, physically or emotionally? Is the wrong type of TV viewing, computer viewing going on in your life? How about, are you placing limits on what you're willing to do for God? Are you reluctant to give time in order to serve someone else? Maybe you limit yourself on how you'll give sacrificially to His kingdom. Perhaps maybe you set aside time on a daily basis for prayer and study of the Word of God. Are you restricting what God has called you to do? I, if you're like me, you just need to see God. You need to see God's presence and His Spirit in your life. 35, life's not going any slower. Seems like every year goes fuller, faster. Are you really content with spending your life pretending? Are you content with that? God. You can't see God in yourself at the same time. You want to see God in your life? What would happen in this church if every single person chose to fully obey God this week? Would we see revival? God granted it. Would we see God? What is that simple, clear, perhaps maybe emotional, difficult stuff of obedience that God is confronting you with today? What will you do? Now we've come to a time in our service. It can be the most hypocritical moment of our day, or it could be the most honest. The altar call. You've got the choice there. But uh, I'm just telling you, you probably can't get much more public than what I just did. I did it because I felt like God called me to. I felt like I did it because if I didn't, you wouldn't have a hope to obey. 
Will you obey God with me? Not to rest in the grace of God. And whatever grace God puts in other people's lives to deal with our sins. Welcome to church.